So tonight's reading is Colossians um, chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to one another, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, There is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Thank you, Fleur. Thanks, Paul. It's great to uh, be speaking tonight. My name's Libby, as you can see, because my name is on the screen. And I'm one of uh, the leaders, one of the clergy here, along with Paul and Dave, who's on sabbatical uh, now, so we can do all sorts of things. No, (laughs) we can't really. In the last millennia, I went to uh, a church in the Midlands of England to be a youth worker. And when I arrived, there was a massive scandal in the church. It had just happened just the week before I arrived. And everybody was talking about it. And we were like, how are we going to resolve this big scandal? And this was the scandal. Three of the church young people had walked into the evening service had walked up the center aisle, gone into their pew around here, it was pews, not nice red chairs like us, sat down, and they hadn't taken off their baseball caps. Not only that, they wore their baseball caps through the whole service, including the songs, and then at the end of the service, they got up, walked out again to the horror and shaking heads of many of the congregation still wearing their baseball caps. Um, It was fascinating to walk into that situation and hear all the different views that were being expressed at the time. Um, I was just like delighted that we had young people who walked into the front of the church and sat on the front pew whether they were wearing baseball caps or not. And now even our clergy wear baseball caps. Paul hasn't, he's put it on now. Who'd have thought in 1998 that clergy would wear baseball caps in church? Anyway, but so often the church and Christians have been known more for what we're against rather than what we're for. Whether it's baseball caps or something completely different. Christians, we're anti-fun. 
aren't we? We're anti-sex, we're anti-sexuality, we're anti-gay, we're anti-women, especially if they stand up and preach in church. Uh, Christians are anti-men, but only the men that stay at home and look after their children or aren't fully alpha male. Uh, The church is anti-science, it's racist, it's anti-capitalist and anti-socialist, it's anti-vax and anti-mask, it's anti-popular music, and you must never, ever dance. And you must never wear that again. (laughs) And looking at some of the verses in our reading tonight, we can actually see where some of this caricature, if you like, of Christians being anti-everything comes from. Let's look at, at our passage. Uh, you might want to, some of the verses are going to be up on the screen, but I'm all for getting your Bible out. Maybe just bring a Bible to church if you've got one, wild. Or open the Bible app if you've got that to Colossians 3, verses 1 to 11. So where does this idea come from? Let's just look at verses 5 to 8. So if you went straight in our passage to verses 5 to 8, you get an idea where this Christians are anti-everything come from. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to the earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips." It's all a bit miserable, isn't it? Sex, speech, all bad. Until, of course, you step back. And you look at these verses in the context of the rest of the passage, and suddenly the balance starts to shift a little bit. We discover that this teaching is not all about what you can't do. It's really not about taking the fun out of life or repression and misery, but it's actually all about what we can do. It's all about liberation and understanding the life that we can have in Christ in the freedom that he bought for us and living that life of love and freedom and real life in all things. So let's just delve a bit deeper into this passage. In verses 1 to 4, Paul is reminding uh, these Christians who are fairly new Christians, and they're part of the church in a place called Colossae, uh, and he's reminding them, and he's reminding us today, because this is still relevant to us, even though it was written millions of years ago, not millions of years ago at all, 2,000 years, but I often exaggerate like that. Um, He's saying, if we belong to Christ, we belong to a new world where God is king. If you belong to Christ, you belong to a new world where God is king. We call that the kingdom of God. And if you belong to Christ, you are in Christ. In Christ. It's a phrase that you might hear sort of banded around uh, in church quite a lot. But what does this phrase, in Christ, actually mean? It means that what is true of Christ, Jesus 
is true of anyone who would say, I am a Christian, who has given their life to Christ. Anything that is true of Christ is true of Christians. And what are the two major truths that we know about Jesus? He died and he was raised from the dead. So if we are in Christ ourselves, if if we've become Christians, then we have died and been raised ourselves. Let's just sort of dig into that, because that's a bit odd. I'm stood here, I'm alive, I'm not dead. Paul's definitely alive. You lot are alive as far as I can tell, but I can't see your faces. We've died, but we've been raised. If you flip back a few verses uh, from the verses that we're looking at tonight to Colossians 2 verse 20, Paul writes this, you have died with Christ. You've died with Christ to the forces and the rules of this world. When you became a follower of Jesus, if you have become a follower of Jesus, you have died to sin. You've died to all the things of this world that keep you from living in the fullness of life that Jesus has bought for you on the cross. You've died to self-centeredness. You've died to lying and cheating and bad-mouthing people and being mean and walking over people that are lower down the pecking order than you. You have died to sin. We have died to sin. That's why uh, when we baptize people here at church or anywhere, uh, you go down into the waters of baptism. It's symbolic of dying to your sin. And then you come out and you're raised to new life. And so if we then look at chapter 3, verse 1, the first verse of our reading, tonight it tells us, you have been raised with Christ. We've died to sin, we've been raised to life in Christ. Having died to all that, we now have new life in Jesus. That means that we get to live the life that God intended for us, that God designed us as human beings for And not only that, we get to live our lives with the promise that when we physically die, we get to be raised with Christ for eternity in heaven. And because we die with Christ and we are raised with Christ, we are in Christ. That's your theology lesson of what it means to be in Christ. In fact, Paul goes on and puts it in another way here in verse 3. He says, your life is hidden in Christ with God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Just let those words rumble around your mind for a second. My life is hidden with Christ in God. What an incredible image. I'm hidden with Christ. I'm hidden from danger. I'm safe and I'm secure and I'm with him. I'm enfolded in his love. And because of all this, he goes on in verses one and two. He says, basically, get your heart and your mind, therefore, off earthly things, things which promise so much but don't deliver, things that really don't fulfill you, Stop focusing your heart and your minds on things that distract 
And instead, he says, set your mind, your heart on things above. Set your heart and mind on the things of God. The things of God are things like joy and thanksgiving and hope and kindness and goodness and grace, the things that make you feel good. Set your heart and minds on things above. Paul is saying to these Christians, and he's saying to us today, you know, you can't have your feet in two camps. We can't be indulging in sex and slander, because that's what he goes on to unpack in a minute, and at the same time, say that you're following Jesus. Think of it like this. If you're walking down a street at night, you can't really walk in the dark and in the light at completely the same time. Well, you could sort of give it a good try, uh, but you probably end up swerving all over the place, dodging in and out the shadows and under the street lights. You probably uh, trip off the curb a couple of times. We have to choose. Are we going to walk in the light or in the dark? And why does Paul in the rest of this passage, start banging on about sex and speech. I guess it's because these are the two things that have the most potential for good, but also the most potential for evil. So let's look at these in a little bit more detail. So firstly, sex. Let's be clear. Paul isn't saying that all sex and all sexual desire is wrong. After all, we know God created sex, and he said it is good. But even good things can be used in bad ways. And Paul goes on to explain how. He's talking here about sexual immorality which is, in this context, it means sex outside uh, the commitment of a married relationship. He's talking about impure thoughts, those thoughts we have perhaps about the person we know or the person we don't know or the person we've seen on a screen. He talks about lust. That means desiring that which you cannot have. He talks about evil desires, doing just what you feel like with no consideration of the consequences or the impact on others. And then he talks about greed, which is like idolatry, he says, which is just taking what you fancy, taking what you fancy on. That's why it's in this list under sexual immorality. Author James Bryan Smith says this, a good heart, maybe it should say a God-focused heart, is free from from objectification for the sake of self-gratification. A good heart is free from objectification for the sake of self-gratification. And all these things on this list, sexual immorality, lust, impure thoughts, evil desires, We all know, don't we, that these weren't just a list of things that were an issue for people in first century Middle East. They are everywhere in our 21st century Western world. This is like a list 
of the world that we live in, that we're surrounded with, that are part of who we are, that affect us. You know, this sort of sexual expression listed here, it is promoted all around us. It's normalized and it's readily, readily available uh, throughout the society that we live in. We are bombarded by this. Just think about it. Of the tens of thousands, and there are tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands, of sexual encounters that we see on our TV screens every year, the majority by far are outside the context of a committed relationship, let alone marriage. Just think about the images you see on the media that permeate your brain. Are they wholesome? Are they uplifting? Are they promoting sex as God designed it to be? And as Christians, even though we're called to live in the light, to die to sin, to be raised with Christ, we're called to not walk in the dark. It's just so easy for us, isn't it, to just go along with what is normal in our world. We convince ourselves, you know, it's okay. You know, it doesn't harm anybody. You know, I can do this. I could send that picture or look at that on my screen or I could watch that. You know, everyone else is doing it. I'm not hurting anybody. I was telling the morning congregations last week uh, that Pornhub the biggest online porn site in the world, had 49 billion visits to its site in 2019, which went up 25% during the lockdown globally. That is immense. That is a huge amount of views by anybody's standards. And the sex on Pornhub is definitely not sex as God designed it to be. It is not beautiful. It is not life-giving. It isn't an expression of love and commitment and freedom within committed married relationships. It is so far from that. And it is so far from that that in December last year, 80% of the content of Pornhub had to be removed because it was illegal. That means that 80% of the content that the 49 billion people view, plus view around the world, was rape, or child abuse, or coercion, or involved people that were trafficked, and the list goes on and on and on. That is not sex as God designed it to be. I was listening to a podcast this week uh, which said that often by, uh, by the time people are in their mid-20s, it actually was talking in this context about young men, even though I know that women are affected by porn as well, that often by their mid-20s, young men have marinated their brains in violent pornography. And porn, I'm going to like an extreme edge here, but like a lot of these things listed in our passage, like casual sexual encounters, it's so addictive. It acts like a drug 
It, it, it gives us a hit, and for the moment, it satisfies our hunger. It maybe makes you feel free and content for a moment. But remember Edmund in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You might remember the scene where Edmund is coerced into uh, the beautiful carriage of the White Witch, and she gives him that delicious Turkish delight. But then she took it away, and it just left him wanting more, didn't it? And that gave the White Witch power over Edmund. With porn and with lots of other sex, casual sexual encounters, what happens is that we keep going after more and more of what satisfies less and less. We keep going after that, that thing that we think is going to satisfy us. But as we go after it more and more, it satisfies less and less. And we get drawn into an addictive cycle. If we've given our lives to Christ, our lives to Jesus, we are in Christ. And if we are in Christ, Jesus should be seen in the whole of our lives, including how we use our bodies. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 10, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Our faith in Jesus, being in Christ, is not just about what we do here in this building, or about when we're in our student group or our connect group, or when we're having our prayer time at home or when we're talking with our Christian mates. It isn't even just about what people see of us. But the death and the resurrection of Jesus should be seen through our whole lives, the seen and the unseen, including what we do and don't do with our bodies. And then what about speech? Speech. Words, they can be used for so much good. Someone once said that words are the containers of power. I love that. Words are the containers of power. They can be used for so much greatness. We can all think of some of the most famous speeches in the, wor the world and the way that people have used words for greatness. But we also know as much as they can be used for greatness, they can also be used for evil. Words can be used to hurt other people. They've been used against us to hurt ourselves. And so we're not talking here when we read um, what Paul's writing about in, in Colossians 3, about us sort of accidentally saying the wrong thing and hurting somebody by accident. But Paul is talking here about the deliberate use of speech and words to hurt people. Remember, words are the containers of power for good and evil. And we've all done it. We've used words to hurt people. You know, we lie and we gossip uh, and we hurt others with our words, me included. And, and we've also had words said against us that have 
maybe deeply hurt us. We've maybe been lied to. We've maybe been shouted at or experienced aggression through somebody's words. We've been sworn at or gossiped about or... And those sorts of things go really deep, don't they? And some of those things become part of our identity and they cling on to us, those negative and hurtful words. Maybe some of us are holding on to some of the words that were spoken over us well in our past, but they're affecting our present. I was reading about uh, an academic study uh, by a guy called Robert Fedman, uh, who found that in every 10-minute conversation, somebody tells a lie an average of 3.3 times. That made me gobsmacked. Jesus taught in Matthew 15 that what comes out of our mouths actually comes from our hearts. And so Paul here is just taking us back to the teaching of Jesus, and he's saying, if you are in Christ, you've died to sin and you've been raised to new life in him, then what you do with your body, what you do with other people's bodies, how you think, how you treat people, what goes on in your mind, what comes out of your mouth, It needs to reflect the challenge and the change that Jesus has made to your life when you died to sin and came alive in Christ. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on your new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and in the image of the Creator. Basically, he's just saying to us, if you're serious about being a Christian, if you're serious about this new life in Christ, then act like it and speak like it. Maybe uh, for some of us this evening, uh, maybe in this moment, this has been an uncomfortable talk to listen to. Maybe it's because we know, if we're honest, that we're really struggling in some one of the areas that we've looked at today. Maybe you know that the fire burns and it really hurts, but you just can't stop putting your hand back in the fire. And so often we believe that we are free to do what we want. But maybe tonight's the night that we just need to stop and ask ourselves, are we actually free? Or actually have we become slaves to this world? And so maybe we need to admit today where we've become slaves to sin, maybe through no fault of our own, but maybe because of a choice that we make and keep making. And maybe we need to die to those things and come alive in Christ. A few things just to say at this point. Firstly, we only feel the weight of our sin because of the beauty and holiness of God. Not because God has a big stick and wants to beat us up. 
I love the verse in Exodus 34, which tells us that the Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. Secondly, if you read any of the Gospels, you will find front and center that Jesus' nature is this. His nature is to walk towards sin and suffering, not away from it. So if you are struggling in some area of life, if you feel perhaps that you're wearing filthy rags, not the garments of righteousness that you know you could be wearing, I want you to know that Jesus is walking towards you, not away from you. And as he walks towards you, look at his face. Because his face is filled with compassion. There's only love in his eyes as he looks at you and he knows you completely. He knows what you're thinking, he knows your struggle, he knows your pain, he knows your hurts. Jesus only has compassion in his eyes as he walks towards you. And in that moment, he invites you to come to him and to tell him what you're struggling with. Why it is that you just keep going back or what it is that you need him to heal. And maybe you just need to say sorry and experience his forgiveness and then hear those words that he said to the woman who was uh, caught in bed with a bloke who wasn't a husband. Don't go and sin anymore. You know, your sins are forgiven. Don't do it again. And thirdly, Jesus, when he sees somebody struggling in the Gospels, he often asks this question. What do you want from me? What do you want from me? You see, he asks that question because he wants to hear the person's heart. He doesn't want to know the right answer. You know, when people say to him, I want to see, or I want to be free, or I want to walk again, or I want to be forgiven, I want to die to myself, and I want to follow you. So what do you want from Jesus? Do you want him to give you a desire for change? Let's tell Jesus what we want from him. I want us to just stand together for a moment or two. We've been sat down a while. And I'm going to pray in a second, um, but I just want to make a suggestion of something that I hope might be helpful uh, for some folk here. I think I'm really conscious that sometimes you can sit in church and you can be like, yes, you know, I need to, I need, this is a line in the sand for me. I need to make a commitment and I need to repent of my sin. I need to move forward. I need to die to sin. I need to raise to life with Christ. Or I need to hand over God that hurt that I'm carrying, those words that have been spoken over me that means I'm not free. I don't feel that I'm raised to life in Christ. And then we go out of the doors and just life gets back to normal again. And so I'd love to encourage uh, those of you who perhaps the Holy Spirit is just sort of nudging you a little bit 
to actually draw a line in the sand tonight. And I'm going to suggest we do this in a, a, a couple of different ways. In a moment, the band are going to come up, and they're going to lead us in a song. It's a song that's really timely for this moment, actually, and so we can use the words of this song to respond to what God's doing in our hearts and lives. But during that song, if there's anything that you feel that you need to hand over uh, to God, that maybe you've been carrying, or you know it's, it's an area of sin or hurt in your life, that you just keep putting your hand back in the fire, even though you know it's going to hurt you. You keep going there then what I'd really encourage you to do is you need to move, basically, because sometimes we just need to step physically from where we are. That's why I love the sort of physical action of baptism. It's such a powerful thing. And I would encourage you to just come, come downstairs. If you're upstairs, come over here. There's some tables with some post-it notes and pens. Um, and just write a word. Write whatever you need to say to God tonight and hand it over. And then all you need to do, you don't need to tell anybody, and in fact, at the end, I'll, I'll bunch them all up, stick them in the rubbish bin, so nobody's gonna read what you put. And then, uh, I'm just gonna grab something. If you come up to the cross, and just bung your post-it, stick it on the cross, throw it at the bottom of the cross, whatever. And that's sort of symbolic action of like giving that thing to Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for that thing that you're carrying that you keep going back to, that has hurt you, that area of sin in your life that you haven't died to. That's why we're doing this at the cross. Put it on the cross, put it at the foot of the cross. But then, if you want to, just pick up one of these little red slips of paper. And these red slips of paper have Colossians 3, 1 to 3 written on. And Colossians 3, 1 to 3 says this. Can find it. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And I want you to pick one of these up because I want this to be what you take away and what you sort of look at every day this week, that now, because of Jesus, our lives are hidden in Christ with God. So then just pick one of these up and go back to your seat um, and carrying on worshipping. Nobody has to do this at all. It's just if it's helpful. But let's just take this moment um, as the band come up uh, maybe just start playing. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll sing, and I'd encourage you, if it would be helpful, uh, to come and just respond in that way as well.